Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grombacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, the strong and powerful Michael Seaver. Michael, uh, are you ready you. to do this? I am ready to do this, man. Thank you. Excellent. Let's do this. Michael is an accomplished executive coach, consultant, and thought leader with a decade of success across a multitude of industries. His areas of expertise include executive leadership, personal branding, change management, organizational effectiveness, and employee engagement. I'm excited to have you on. Michael, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Absolutely. Thank you, George. Uh, personally, I uh, was raised in the great state of Michigan, moved to the Phoenix metro area about 14, almost 15 years ago, uh, needed to get away from the snow, wanted to be in a place where I could play golf a little bit more regularly and spend some time outside hiking. Uh, my business uh, actually started it back in 2011, and it was really, really a big thing for me back then to try to figure out a way to help other people unlock their potential. And so the business has kind of morphed into a thing where I get to take people who are pretty disengaged in what they do and grow it into something uh, that is very, very meaningful and authentic for them. Uh, so the real motivation, the real why of all of this uh, is that I just learned very, very early on that I existed to unlock human potential. And I'm going to stop at nothing to make sure that I find as many unique ways to do that as possible. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that. I was doing a little bit of research in advance of our conversation today, and I discovered that Modern Homo sapiens first walked the Earth around 50,000 years ago, and since that time, there have been, roughly speaking, 108 billion of us that have been born. Yet, wow. yeah, it's <laughs> it's a lot of people. Yet, so much of our personal identity and the things that we 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 push for or we push against is wrapped up in one or two people in the form of mom and dad. So, <laughs> so I wanted to, I mean, of, of all the people to try to, to, to run towards or run from it's, it's, it's our parents. So I was hoping to talk to you a little bit about that today. Um, so hopefully, yeah. 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 Thank you for that, George. It's, it's, it's amazing to me. 108 billion. That's a lot of folks. Uh, <laughs> so thank you for finding that statistic. Uh, you know, when I think about it, um, I had learned very early on um, that there was certain things that my parents did that uh, were very disengaging to me. And I always just thought it was because they were uh, trying to be mean or uh, they, they were having a bad day or something else was going on. And I guess as time progressed, a series of mentors, a series of coaches, a series of people crossed my life. And what I started to realize was is that the, my parents and all of our parents were basically doing the best that they could based on the time in history they were born, based on the set of parents that they had, uh, based on basically economic or experiential circumstances for them. And so once I started to release my parents and then start to coach other people through that process to understand they're not doing it specifically to be inappropriate or to be mean or to pull you back down, they're doing the best that they can in order to try to raise their child uh, in an environment where there's a lot of uncertainty, there's a lot of things changing. And so they're just in their mind doing the best that they can but we as children have to remember uh, that we are very, very unique individuals and we have to go out and figure out a way to that add as much value to the community as possible. And oftentimes that happens through becoming the opposite of our parents in some ways. And that's why I went through and developed the incorporate you process and do the things that I do now 
was I wanted to figure out what I now refer to as the pain to purpose journey. And what I mean by that is that when we're younger, let's say around 12 or 13, all the way until about age 28 or 30, we go through a recurring set of challenges that uh, could come from our parents. It could come from our personal circumstances. It could come from injustices we see in society. Uh, it comes from a lot of different places. But if we can identify the patterns or the themes of those circumstances, right around age 30, we tend to overcome those that, that kind of series of challenges. And so I've just found that the highest and best use of a person's time thereafter, so from age 30 until 50, is to essentially what I would say is be the person that person needed when they were younger. And so oftentimes it's through being the opposite of our parents. It's through helping other people go through challenges similar to the ones that we went through when we were younger. And our parents oftentimes get to be uh, the measuring stick by which we say, hey, we're the opposite of them or there's specific things we learn from them. Um, but parents can be tricky because they oftentimes desire to make us the idealized version of what they never were. And so we have to be very, very steadfast and holding to our true authenticity, authenticity, even if they're trying to make us something else. That's a lot of good stuff right there. And I think that certainly maybe we have a hard time getting our brains around the fact that, hey, my mom or my dad, they, they weren't perfect. And the primary reason for that is because they're people, right? I know that mom and dad, we think that they're the strongest, biggest people in the world when we're kids, but you need to realize that they are imperfect because they are people just like everybody else. Yep. Um, is that is that like everything else, the first step in getting past this is realizing that? Absolutely. And I think that's the probably one of the more difficult things is that a, an individual has to be willing to want to change. Uh, they have to be willing to set new goals. They have to be willing to confront old pains and, and weaknesses and illnesses. And that is very difficult. Uh, so through my own experiences, through those of the people close to me or through the folks that I serve as an executive coach, uh, I only work with people directly that are actually willing to change, that are actually wanting to confront those things from their past. And oftentimes I do have to ask them to have conversations with their parents. And what we found is that most parents uh, are unwilling to have that dialogue or discussion uh, because they were never taught when they were young to look within and to have those meaningful dialogues. So if a person is actually willing to take step number one, then you can move forward in your life very rapidly. If not, you have to wait uh, most of the time until something really big happens to a person like a, a, the death of a loved one or some sort of an illness or something that makes him or her vulnerable at the point of vulnerability, then you can begin to have that dialogue. But most of the time, a person is not going to be willing to talk about it. So you just have to keep plowing forward without them. Interesting. So from a lot of your experience, you've discovered that parents are not really all that excited to have this conversation. Oftentimes, no. Uh, if they've if they've had you know solid mentors and coaches and counselors and you know people in their life who have shown them the value of being a bit vulnerable and how that can help, then they're going to be fantastic in, in allowing their children to become very authentic versions of themselves. But my experience has been is that that's pretty rare, right? Because of, you know, for uh, a baby boomer or an early Gen X person or somebody from the silent generation, uh, they were just not taught to do these things because. Society at that point in time was very, very different, right? We were dealing with world wars. We were dealing with depressions. We were in a place where 
economic stability was way more important than a person getting to a point of self-actualization. Got it. And that certainly makes sense. Well, there's a couple of things. Uh, First and foremost, the stuff that I as an individual, what, what I'm projecting onto my parents, we need to figure that out if I'm to move past it. And then number two is what my parents are projecting onto me. If dad wanted to be a baseball star but he didn't necessarily make it he wants me to be a baseball star and he's going to really push me to do that so but i i think that in all of this at least my 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 perception or perspective on it would be that i as the child am in control to be able to interrogate the reality and to sort of move past this i completely agree and thankfully now you know we have access to tremendous resources uh, across the web. It's very, very easy for people to gain access to knowledge that they wouldn't have had access before. And so we have the capacity to learn as much as we possibly could desire to, and then to have the confidence to go and apply those things, especially if that is a difficult conversation with a parent uh, or grandparent. And before right, we didn't have ideas to bounce off other people. We didn't have step-by-step processes to be able to garner from the web. We didn't have really cool podcasts like Money Savage to be able to lean on to try to get (laughs) that expertise about the things that we're interested in. Uh, Thankfully, now those things exist and we can have a level of confidence or know a process to be able to begin the tough conversation that is not going to be solved in one sit down meeting at the coffee table. No, it certainly is not. It certainly is not. It's going to be a process. So can you talk a little bit about um, that you, 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 you mentioned a process that, that, that you've developed that helps people to, to work through this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So back in 2011, when I started uh Cyber consulting, uh, again, just very, very frustrated with the kind of the corporate America thing and wanted to figure out a way to exit it. And what I realized was, is that I had to go back to uh, where I had a coach at the Thunderbird School of Global Management. Uh, and she was absolutely fantastic in beginning to shed a little bit of light on this. So with her help and with some of my own experiences, I ended up creating something called the Incorporate You process, which is my look at how to understand a person's life's narrative and how to convert that narrative into really purposeful direction moving forward. And so what I mean by that is that I use a couple of things as inputs. And one of them is the DISC assessment, which is a a behavioral profile. There's something called the 12 driving forces assessment, which looks at motivators, what motivates you. Um, I also ask the client to do an exercise on their personal values, things they've learned over time. And then the most critical piece of this input process is a questionnaire about their past, their present and their future. And so what I'm trying to pull out is a little bit of the nurture side of their development to say, what were those challenges you encountered? What were the lessons you learned? What were those things that made you very, very happy? And once we get that data together, right, the disc and the motivators, the values and their answers to the past, present and future questions, I then convert that basically into six, seven or eight themes. And it's in those patterns and themes that we can then write a personal mission statement and an executive or personal brand statement. So having those two things makes it very easy for us to be able to make very difficult decisions moving forward. And so sometimes that means, hey, I now know my life's mission. I can take a different job or I can start my own business or I can go have that tough conversation with a family member uh, because I know what I'm trying to drive to. And in order for me to get to that goal, I do need to clean up some stuff from my past. 
Um, but I've been able to use this process around with folks from around the nation. Uh, and it's been very, very successful. And I'm very thankful for that because I think that we all desire to align our daily activity with some sort of purpose or mission. And so I'm just of the belief that if you're going to spend an awful lot of time looking for success, that success to me is the largest percentage of your day living your life's mission as possible. Got it. I, 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 I love that. And I absolutely believe that determinism is a real thing. And in the whole nature versus nurture conversation, that would be the nurture piece. Why mm-hmm. do I act the way that I do? You know, in certain situations, you talked about identifying the different patterns that we find ourselves in over and over again. Well, those are the neural pathways that we developed in dealing with our families, right? Mm-hmm. Well Early on. So, do you have a, in your estimation, what is it 50 50 nature versus nurture? Or is it 75 25 one way or another? It's probably depending on the individual. Yeah, it's very, uh, very, very individual. Um, so some people, right, we can even take it back to, we now have systems, you know, in America and across the globe that we can know our genetics and epigenetics. And so some organizations have discovered that, you know, 50% of your DNA sequence is on at any one point in time, but through epigenetics and your environment and the things you eat and, you know, things that happen around you, the other 50% can be turned on or off. So in my experience, there's always this kind of 50, 50 mix from, okay, what part of your DNA and how you're behaving and the things that are happening around you or that you choose to spend time on, you know, those things can be adjusted with the right support. And what I mean by that is that there is a Daniel Sumrock, Dr. Daniel Sumrock out of the University of Tennessee had done some research recently and basically was looking at, well, what, what causes addiction? What causes us to focus on things that are not really truly value add to our work or to our life's mission? And what we really found through that process was that basically that we as children, we we go through some sort of an adverse childhood experience and then we try to figure out ways later on to deal with it and we struggle with that. So we we end up becoming addicted to certain things or we end up um, not having those tough conversations. So what his suggestion was and what I believe in thoroughly is that the more opportunities we have for social connectedness and having conversations with people and exploring things through experiential learning, the better off we're going to be to be able to truly live our lives missions, have those tough conversations with our parents and move forward in a way that makes us engaged and happy daily. Nice. I love it. So what's at risk in this? If I don't, if, if I never consider this, if, if I don't do it, a great question. So Gallup every couple of years puts out something called the state of the American workplace report. And what they found that in America, roughly 33 to 34% of Americans are, are what's referred to as actively engaged, meaning they're happy at work. Um, so that means that 67% of the American workforce does not like their work. And I look at this and I say a couple of things, uh, you know, that we should obviously have a very, very large percentage of the American workforce happy in what they do. Um, so uh, there's another professor out of, um, Harvard. Um, he was basically looking at something called and facilitating his name is Robert Waldinger facilitating something called the Harvard study of adult development. And through about 80 plus years of research, what they found was that the thing that leads to a long, happy and healthy life isn't fame. It's not power. It's not money. It's not success in the traditional sense. But what it is, is the quality of your close knit relationships 
So you have a good solid base of family relationships. You have a good solid base of your friend friendships and friend, close friend relationships. So the thing that we lose if we don't know our mission or if we don't know, you know, how to spend our time appropriately in the fulfillment of our mission is that we become one of the 67% who ultimately regrets things that we didn't do in life. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big fan of visiting folks who are from the traditionalist or the silent generation and just asking them about the world and what they do. And I did that recently back in mid-February. Uh, and the thing that really bothered me about those discussions was is that the vast majority of the things that came out of these individuals' mouths, right, people who are 80 or 90, was the litany of regrets that they had. And I, I just vowed to myself and to the folks I serve that I didn't want them to go through life being one of the 67% who were disengaged, but also to not wait until the end of life to be unhappy uh, or to have those regrets. And I just think that there's more to life than that. So at the end of the day, let's just not have those regrets. Let's do everything we can to enjoy the journey while we're having it. I appreciate that. What an awful thing to get to the end of your life and to be full of regret. So yeah. So the avoidance of that that potential reality is is a huge motivator. What's what else is in it for me if I get aligned with with my purpose and and my work? I would have to think that it's going to help me perform better as well. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, there's there there's some really considerable research that shows productivity, uh, engagement, happiness, um, general quality of relationships, uh, the capacity to have really, really unique, meaningful experiences. Uh, there's some Hungarian psychologist, his name is Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, wrote a book called Flow. Uh, which is a great look at how do we get into those really in-depth states where we just the rest of the world just turns off and we're having a fantastic time. And I think because the human brain is hardwired in such a way that when change is happening or we have to consider new things, the brain's hardwired fight or flight to automatically think of the things that could go wrong or the things we would have to give up because of the change. And what what Chicksman High and some others are basically positing is that there is actually really significant opportunity and possibility and capacity for awesome experiences if you can trick your brain to not think purely about the pessimistic stuff that could go wrong, but instead to trick it into saying, here are all of the wonderful things that may happen, happiness, engagement, really, really neat experiences, a bigger friend group, whatever it is for you. And I just feel bad that many folks are not attempting to find those things for themselves they're worried more so about the paycheck or fitting into a specific uh, group in society as opposed to really doing what what tickles their fancy or moves their heart forward. Got it. I love it. That is powerful stuff right there. Well, Michael, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? So this one, it's kind of dorky, George, hmm. but this is something that in all of the folks that I've served, right, regardless of socioeconomic status, regardless of what they're doing, where they're at around the nation – that the thing that is ultimately the most powerful in the accomplishment of your goals, regardless of if they're financial, you know, wh- whether it's something personal, whatever it might be, is that process is always more important than the outcome. So if you can spend time on a day to day basis on personal development, taking that time for reflection and staying really committed to that time period every single day, staying committed to that process is going to open doors for you that you could have never possibly imagined. 
So do what you can to stay focused on the process and worry less about the outcome. Agree 100%. That is great stuff. That definitely gets a come on. Come on. So, Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? Yeah, thank you, George. Uh, so would love for, for folks that are listening in today to visit my website. Uh, it is michaelssiever.com. There are two S's there in the center. My middle name is Scott, so michaelssiever.com. I'm also relatively active on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and I do have a YouTube channel. So please go to those channels and just type in Michael S. Siever and you'll be able to follow many of the things that I'm saying to my clients and to, and to my followers around the world. Excellent. And Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Michael your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Go to michaelssiever.com. And I can definitely vouch for everything that he was talking about and all of his great stuff that he puts out on social media as well. So go check that out. Thank you again, Michael. Absolutely. Thank you, George, for your time and continued success to you and and the Money Savage Nation. Well, thank you, man. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we're all in this together. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing. Leave us a review and definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on.